Have you ever prayed that God would revive the church? A revived church is not coming upon some new way of behaving. It's returning to the first love it had when it began. We want God to do something new in us by doing what he has done in the past. Welcome everyone. It's a good day to be in God's word. I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is presented by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. Let me encourage you to learn more about the amazing work we're doing all around the world. You can learn more by going to traincpe.org and to learn about our missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. So what is one of the new old things that we want God to do in the church? Well, we should pray that God would stir the church to begin eagerly waiting for the return of our Savior Jesus Christ. And as we wait, our life together will change in ways that a loving church behaved when it longingly looked to the future. If God should revive his church in our day, one of the great identification marks of that church will be that it will become this dramatically, potently active and yet waiting body who's looking to heaven for and longing for the return of Jesus Christ. And if God should revive us in that way, I would like to describe to you what it would look like. What it would look like. And let's take a measure of it so we know how we ought to pray. First, the first thing it would look like is this. We would come together to practice the gathering that we will experience when the Lord Jesus calls us to meet him in the air. We'll come together to practice the gathering that we will experience when the Lord Jesus calls all of us redeemed together to meet him in the air. Paul begins a discussion of the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 with these words. Just listen to them. It's very brief. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him, the coming of our Lord... He's going to take up a discussion on this, but he just introduces it away. The coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering to him. The word gathering there is a word that is similar to the word that was used for synagogue. And that's what synagogue simply means, a gathering. And the word ecclesia, from which we get the word church, basically means the same thing. It just means a gathering of people. It's a gathering that mirrors our future. The church as it gathers is in seed form, an expression of the hope of the great and final gathering of the redeemed to the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming, when he shall call out all those who he's died for and who have believed in him, and the dead who have come before him first will be raised from their graves to meet him, and then those who are alive at that time will also rise up to meet him in the air. The Bible says, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Actually, we read it in our scripture reading this morning, but let me, I wrote it down here. Let me read 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall ever be with the Lord. When we gather together in our church, it's a hint. It's to be a living foreshadowing of that great day. That's why the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 10.25 that we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some are, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
When your eyes are on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and you intensely begin waiting for him, what happens in your life is a need not to be with the body of Christ less and less, but a longing to be with the body more and more because it's the one place where we are rehearsing the rapture of the church. We meet together in order to express, as Keith Bailey says in a little book he wrote called Christ Coming in His Kingdom, we meet together to be a dress rehearsal for is rapture. Let me tell you what the rapture is going to look like. The world is going to be behind us and our king is going to be before us. And our eyes are going to be on him. Not on this world. And when we meet him and we gather before him in that air, there, 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 if there's any consideration of the world, it's going to be this. He has still said that he's coming to lay his feet upon this earth and reign. And our one question will be, what will our mission be then? How will we serve you, O Master and King, when you set up your kingdom upon this earth? Our eyes will be upon the Lord, not upon this world, but we'll want to know what our assignment should be. We'll not come to him saying, how can we navigate this earth to be as most successful as possible? How can we extrapolate from this age all of the advantages we can gain so that we can have as much privilege and power and pleasure and protection as we need in life? It will not be in our minds whatsoever. Those are the idols of this age, and they'll be behind us. Our eyes will just be upon our king. We'll have a question to ask about this earth and this world. It's, how will we serve you there next? What will our mission be as you reign as king throughout this age? Now, a revived church has that same attitude. The world is behind us. We don't get together to calculate on how to deal with stress and how to become most successful and where to put our finances and what plan we should have for our retirement and how to somehow sequester all the advantages of this age. It's not the topic we're concerned with. Our eyes is on the king. Our worship is before him. And our one question is, how do we serve you in this age until that age comes? How can our lives now begin to reflect what our mission will be then? We gather for that reason. Here's the second thing. The revived and waiting church will be found waiting, as they're found waiting, will be preaching Christ and his salvation before the coming of Christ everywhere they go. We'll be busy preaching Christ and his salvation before he comes everywhere we go. The Lord Jesus, in the very last week of his life, spoke of the end of the age and the age to come when he would come and reign. And he said in Matthew 24, verse 14, this, this would be a sign of his return. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. Lord, when are you going to return? Where are you going to come? Well, this gospel is going to be preached unto all the earth, and then I'll come. The waiting church, the church that's longing for the return of their king, it becomes busy proclaiming the coming of the king. We follow the example of John the Baptist. John the Baptist knew at any moment the king was going to reveal himself. He came the first time in order to die for our sins. But he knew and he announced the coming of the king and he went about preaching the coming of that king and telling people to prepare themselves for his coming, his first coming. Now, the Bible says, Jesus said of ourselves, that we're greater than John the Baptist. But our message is very much the same. Our actions are to be the same. We're busy proclaiming, get ready for the coming of the king and his kingdom. Prepare yourselves, repent and believe. The king is on his way. A waiting church is a gospel proclaiming church. 2 Timothy verses 4 verses 1 and 2. Paul gives this charge. 
I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, in light of his appearing and his coming kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, and with great patience or with great endurance and with instruction. The raiding church feels the urgency of the hour and the soon coming of the judge, and they are provoked by the Spirit of Christ who is coming upon this earth. They are provoked to proclaim his gospel everywhere they go. When we read this passage, we have to be careful not to mistake that what's being said here. We might think, oh, this is a command for the preacher to make sure he preaches every single week a well-crafted message around the Word of God. Now, that, that might be a part of it. It'll be important that I endure and keep and we expound this word above everything else week in, week out. And we've kind of whittled it down to one service, you know, when the church read this 200 years ago. They had a Sunday morning service and they had a Sunday evening service and they had a Monday morning service and a Monday afternoon service and a Tuesday morning service and a Tuesday afternoon service. And a, was it, they meant all the time preach the word. But if you read it that way, you're not quite understanding, I don't think. I think that it may include that, but I think in light of the coming of Jesus Christ, what we need to get out of this is that we're being commanded to get outside the walls of the church. And we're to get into the world that is quickly descending out of this day and into a final night. Quickly moving from the moment in which they might receive Christ and turn to Christ and believe in Christ, in which the curtain is going to fall and the judge is going to come and he's going to bring his judgment upon this earth, with which... In flaming fire, the Bible says, upon all who know not God nor believe his gospel. In light of that, we recognize that this Savior has already come for sin and is a rescuer from wrath. And we are motivated because of the shortness of time to hurry to make Christ known and his salvation known to the ends of the earth. A waiting church is vigorously active in taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Can I just ask you? You have a lot of friends. You have got a lot of neighbors. Do you have a desire to see them come to Christ? Are you asking God, somehow God, give me some way to interject in their lives and proclaim in their lives and introduce in their lives the hope that lies within me? And the gospel message they need to have, they need to know and hear, because time is quickly going by. Well, this brings us to the third thing. As a waiting church, we should be revived in our prayers in the midst of the world in which we live. Our prayers in a revived church would be careful and thought out and strategically laid upon the great purposes of God. I'm not saying that we wouldn't pray about small things like our daily bread. I'm saying that in all that we pray for, even those small things, we would thoughtfully consider how they best prepare us and the things we're seeking from God, how it best prepares ourselves in order that we might forward the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth, in order that we might proclaim the coming of the King, in order that we might give an expression to the one hope that lies before the world and the one terror that lies before the world as well. We would steward our prayers towards our essential calling to serve the Lord Jesus and to serve his people and to make his salvation known to as many as possible. Listen to these words in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what Peter says. In light of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, what Peter says to a waiting church, the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Get your mind around the important things 
of the coming kingdom and pray in light of those things. Become intercessors who are weightily and strategically carrying out and thinking out their prayers in light of the shortness of the time of this age and the soon appearing of our Savior and the need to move more and more and more people to the place where they may be washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and have their sins cleansed and they might be introduced into the light of an everlasting kingdom. They might have their sins washed away and where night may be turned today. A revived church, a waiting church, will be a church of sound and sober prayer. Here's the fourth thing. A revived and waiting church will be renewed in its worship. A revived and waiting church would be renewed in its worship. The day of Christ's coming is going to arrive, the Bible says, with the sound of a trumpet blast, and then we're going to be drawn together, and I guarantee you there we're going to worship the Lord Jesus, our lion and our lamb. And Actually, if you look at Revelations chapter 4 and 5, you have this wonderful depiction of a worshiping church. I believe that what is presented for us there is the worship of the raptured church. I believe it's a portrait of the worship that will take place from the redeemed from the Old Testament and the New Testament who are drawn together to be with Christ. You'll have to join us again as we consider the marks of a church that is revived and waiting for Christ to come again. But just keep in mind, if you're praying for a spiritual renewal in your life or in the life of the church, it will renew in you a deep longing for Jesus to come again just as he promised. Thanks for joining us at The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.